The future impact of warehouse robotics, taking stock of tech investments, and new research reveals last mile delivery trends. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. I am Dave Maloney. I'm the Group Editorial Director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Beckoff. Have the entire digital fulfillment center at your fingertips with automation by Beckoff. It's digital transformation done right. For more information, please visit beckoff.com slash intralogistics. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham will be along to provide their insights into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, robots continue to take over many of the repetitive and mundane jobs in our distribution centers, and new research shows that many facilities will eventually have multiple types of robots from different vendors working harmoniously together. To find out more about that research and some future predictions, here is Ben with today's guest. Ben? Thanks, Dave. As we head into the new year, we've recently seen the annual supply chain technology predictions from Gartner, the big analyst firm. And one of those that caught our eye concerned warehouse robotics, which of course have gotten a ton of attention in recent years and are spreading fast, but still can be found in just a small percentage of the total DCs out there. Still, robotics have a growing importance for helping logistic operations cope with big challenges of the day, like, of course, the e-commerce boom and later labor shortages and the push for next day delivery. So here with us today to discuss the future of robotics in the warehouse, we have Dwight Klappich. Dwight is the research vice president and Gartner fellow in Gartner's logistics and customer fulfillment team. Welcome, Dwight. Great. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's great to have you here. I know you've been in the business a long time, so I look forward to the conversation. Uh, part of your research uh, from your latest report here looks at the trend that robots today are designed to support a fairly narrow set of missions, uh, maybe delivering goods to person or moving a heavy load or even unloading trucks. But uh, you say that companies are really expanding their use of robots, so they'll soon have fleets of mixed robots from different vendors performing uh, a variety of tasks. Is that, is that right? Correct. Yeah, I mean, what our research finds, um, a study we did Q4 of last year, we asked supply chain professionals what their plans were for supply chain technologies. One of the areas we explored was uh, robotics. Uh, what was very interesting to us was you know, 97% of the response, about 500 respondents, cross geography, cross size company, cross industry said that they either were, they plan to invest in cyber physical automation. Now, cyber physical automation to us is, covers broader areas. It can be into what we'll call conventional automation, like conveyor and other things. But about half of the companies said that they were either investing or planning to invest in robots, specifically in robots. So what are your plans for the future? Uh, 94% of those companies said that they plan to explore other use cases. So the good news is they were getting the benefits they expected. Uh, They actually found they exceeded their ROI, which is all great news. So one, they're going to expand the fleets that they had. So if I had 10 Locust robots, I want to go to 25, 50, 100, whatever. 
but also they're saying, hey, we're looking at our operation. What are other things that we could, could automate? Now, you raise a great point. And the challenge is that robotic, you know, ro robots are really designed to solve a particular problem. You got a picking robot, you've got a heavy payload transport robot, collaborative picking robots, on and on. And if you just really look at it, the technology that's there is, is, is quite different. It's just not as kind of flexible as human, to the point that we're tracking 34 different subcategories of robots. Uh, and then we kind of lump that all together. We kind of coined the phrase interlogistics smart robots to say, okay, you know, you know, like the automotive industry, people don't buy the automotive industry, they buy SUVs and pickup trucks or sports cars. Same thing here, you know, I'm not going to try to haul 10,000 pounds of dirt in a two-seat sports car. And the same thing's true of the robots. Got it, 34 kinds. Uh, so why is this uh, trend happening? Is that uh, sort of just a way to use specialist robots to play to their strengths, like uh, having different instruments or musicians in an orchestra? Or are like the workflows within the DC getting more complex or, or what's driving the uh, the move here? Great, great. And I love the, the orchestra analogy, as you know, I'm, I'm a musician. Uh, but I think that is absolutely an apt analogy is you look at a symphony orchestra, you know, each of the instruments has a role. I mean, I play the trombone and, you know, we're great at playing loud in a Mahler symphony. Well, the piccolo is something different. The bass is something different. And they're, they, they're, they're really optimized for the, the thing, the role that they play. Trombone is never going to be able to play the same part of the piccolo. Just think back to Peter and the wolf, right? You know, it's mm -hmm. like, you know, you had the duck and the wolf and the, and it's the same thing. And, and it really, it gets down to, in many cases, the mechanics, you know, what it takes even, even within say just a picking robot, a single kind of picking robot, imagine how different it would be to have a picking robot pick up a carton of eggs, a t-shirt and a 30 pound kettlebell. Now, humans can adapt. This is where humans we're finding out are incredibly adaptable. But designing a robot that can pick up all three of those is very difficult. So what people do is they'll say, hey, I'm picking T-shirts and I can just use a simple vacuum lift and I'm kindred or right hand. You know, I'll, I'll use it for picking T-shirts. I have to pick up the, the kettlebell. I'll do something else. I haven't had a customer come to me and ask, Hey, Dwight, are there any robots that can pick up kayaks, canoes, skis, ski poles? And I said, uh, no, you know, I mean, just, it, we're not there. So uh, the key is, that, you know, they're really designed to solve specific, you know, problems. And then, you know, how do I get them all to work together? That's the next challenge. Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned, you know, 34 is an enormous number of sort of different varieties of robots, but how complex do you think it'll get in the warehouse? Um, in other words, you know, should we expect if we visit a DC five years from now, instead of seeing like just one type of AMR, maybe, um, is it going to be two or five or six? Uh, probably not all 34 in a single facility. Oh, no. no, no. I mean, I, I, you know, we we track primarily six is where most of the interest is. So that's, you know, transport robots, of which there's lots of different kinds of, you know, they just move stuff around. There's collaborative picking, goods to person systems, uh, sortation robots, picking robots, what we call engineered robotic systems, you know, where 
like an auto store or something like that, where it's not just one robot. And then there's things like exoskeletons and there's yard vehicles. And so those are a lot of those 34, but someone I had a call with a customer that, you know, they're having problems, a lot of injuries with people lifting up truck tires, you know, these big truck tires, tractor tires. Okay. They're looking at exoskeleton, very, very narrow use case. But in those six, uh, yeah, our research finds that, you know, the majority of large companies will have heterogeneous fleets of robots over the next decade. Now, how many? I mean, you look at the industries that the, the companies are the furthest along. These are some of the key three PL, certainly Amazon's. Everybody talks about Amazon, but automotive. Yeah, yeah, you're probably talking companies having half dozen different robots doing different things. Hey, I'm moving full pallet loads coming off the back of trucks. Hey, that'd be one robot. I've got a picking robot. I've got something, something else. So yeah, our anticipation is that you're not 100%, you know, but certainly a good solid majority. Our research about 52% will probably have heterogeneous fleets over the next five years. Really interesting. Uh, it, it, it sounds like it'll uh, be, be cool. We'll have to get out from behind our desks and, and do some more field visits to, to see that in, in, uh, in, in real life. But um, how does, you mentioned they have, they have to work together, of course. So, you know, how does a DC control those, you know, four or five or six robots all at once? Um, so part of your prediction was that by 2026, uh, about three years from now, that uh, more than half of companies will have deployed, who do deploy those intralogistics robots, will have what you call a multi-agent orchestration platform. What the heck is that? <laughs> it's interesting because uh, you use the, the concept of an orchestra. Uh, you can almost think of you know this as being the score and the individual parts and the conductor you know, that's the role that this takes on. I mean, each of the instruments has its own part, but each of those parts has to fit together into the context of the overall score. And then the conductor really becomes the, the one that's directing how fast, how slow, you know, uh, when do you come in, when do you stop? And that's what the multi-agent orchestration, now it's interesting, I, we kind of coined that term. I didn't think about that before, but I'm probably gonna use that now as an example. The, basically, what a multi-agent orchestration platform does, two primary things. One, it integrates and it facilitates the integration with that heterogeneous fleet. Now, there are some companies that you know are saying that there will be a universal fleet manager that all robot companies adopt. I think that's unrealistic. Again, going back to the fact that these are very specialized systems in many cases. Um, you know, so the question is, okay, how do I integrate my ERP or my WMS or my MES to, you know, the robots that I need to talk to? Now we say multi-agent because we originally called it multi-robot until we realized that some of the things that we have to coordinate are not just robots. So for example, one of our clients has a mezzanine and I believe they're using Locus uh, to do kind of collaborative picking on the mezzanine the mezzanine's the second level, packing's on the first level. Well, somehow I have to get the robot from the second level to the first level, it goes on an elevator. Well, it's not like it has a finger to push the button on the elevator. So now they also have to coordinate 
with the elevator, send a message to the elevator control system, say, send me an elevator, tell me when you get here, I get on the robot, it closes the door. Could be we're seeing robots used instead of power conveyor. Hey, when I dock with the conveyor, turn the conveyor on when I get there and then it'll roll off. So that's the orchestration platform. So it, it facilitates the integration between these and makes it very easy and flexible because we think customers don't want a three month integration effort when they can get the robot within a couple of days. But then it also starts to take on some of that orchestration work. How do I assign work? Who gets what? Now the robot platform provider, Locust, Six Rivers, Fetch, you know, Seagrid, Vecna, you know, they're going to control their specific fleet of orchestra. So this is the trombone section now. You know, they do their thing. Uh, but then that the next layer up is going to say, okay, you know, hey, we need to coordinate some activities between different, you know, things. Uh, so it takes on some of that that orchestration. Now, it's it's fairly nascent, but it's growing rapidly. You have vendors like SVT Robotics. You have Gray Orange. Uh, with their gray matter software, you have, uh, you know, AWS announcement called RoboRunner, which takes some of the stuff they've learned and doing their stuff. And then the open robotics uh, group that created the Ross operating system is doing kind of a proof of concept building something like this out. Uh, and the other thing we're finding is it, it needs to be bi-directional communication. So like the, the open robotics foundation, you know, they're working with the hospital. Well, they needed some mechanism that if a fire alarm went off, it could send a message to all robots, get out of the way. The humans need to you know, clear the aisle so that the humans can get away. So that's what this multi-agent orchestration platform takes takes on. So it's growing gotcha. rapidly. So. Yeah, really interesting. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be cool to see that play out. And uh, it was fun to get a look at, uh, at what uh, might be coming down the pike here. Um, really, th thank you so much for spending some time with us. Well, thanks, Ben. I appreciate the opportunity. Our guest here today has been Dwight Klappich from Gartner. Back to you, Dave. Thank you, Dwight and Ben. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. And Victoria, you were in Atlanta this week for the SMC3 Jumpstart event, where you also moderated a panel in addition to covering the show for DC Velocity. What were some of the main themes being discussed at the conference? Yeah, that's right. I was uh, in Atlanta this week, and it was great. There was a lot going on, uh, quite a quite a bit. Just to explain to our audience at first, first though, SMC3 Jumpstart is an annual supply chain event that brings together carriers, shippers, logistics service providers, and technology companies in uh, the less than truckload or LTL freight market. Um, this year, um, this past week, more than 600 people turned out for the event. Uh, the conference planners tell me that's a record. So there was a ton of interest and excitement and quite a few things uh, bubbled to the top. The event is a mix of presentations, educational workshops, and networking, and it, it really tries to give attendees a look at what's happening in freight and logistics, and LTL especially, um, and really tries to show the industry what may be ahead, give a look at trends and issues to focus on. Two of the themes this week, to answer your question, were the economy, of course, that's on everyone's mind, and technology. 
basically, we're in a weakened freight environment that began last year. And most of the presenters at the conference agreed that these conditions will persist through the first half of uh, this year. They also said the industry will be weighed down by uncertain macroeconomic conditions that may further dampen the US and global economies. One presenter, uh, Bob Costello, who's chief economist for the American Trucking Associations, said at one point that the US economy may indeed be headed toward a recession later this year, but that he expects it to be short and mild. And because freight markets are already down, uh, we've seen and reported here that demand has waned recently, capacity has loosened and prices are down. He and other panelists said the industry, <clears throat> excuse me, will likely be among the first to recover. So that's the good news. Some business leaders and uh, said freight conditions may actually improve in the second half of this year um, when inventories are uh, depleted and need to be replenished. But I should say many of the economists and business leaders in attendance said the slower pace of industry conditions really represents a sort of settling back from the rapid growth logistics experienced from about mid-2020 through mid-last year when the pandemic was in uh, high gear. We talked about that last week uh, on the podcast in reference to a trucking industry outlook report, so that may sound familiar to our listeners. Uh, so essentially, conditions are weaker for sure, but it's not a drastic decline. Victoria, you also mentioned there was an emphasis in technology at the conference. What were some of the key issues around the tech sector? Yes, that's right. So a couple of things stuck out to me. Um, Renee Krug, who is uh, CEO of the supply chain software company Transflow, um, and she was a speaker, uh, a featured speaker on the first day of the conference, she pointed out that a slower year um, for the industry is, is really a kind of an opportunity to take stock of your business and make plans and investments that can position you well for when things get busier. And of course, technology is a big part of that. She emphasized investing in both back office automation and customer facing technologies that can help businesses scale for growth. Um, and she pointed to a, a number of examples, but a few that stuck out were um, actually recent logistics investments by large retailers, Amazon, Walmart, and Best Buy. Uh, she noted that Amazon and Walmart have been testing drone delivery in certain U.S. markets uh, with, with some success, and that Best Buy has invested really heavily in e-commerce capabilities, turning their stores into mini fulfillment centers to meet demand for both delivery and local pickup. That's been happening for a while, and I think uh, most of us who have a Best Buy near us have seen that uh, as well. So she said trucking and logistics businesses should likewise examine their own operations for ways to improve and prepare for growth. Um, and it could even go beyond technology and include simple steps like examining your business processes to find out, you know, if you're doing things that you don't need to be doing or if you could find a better way to do certain things in your company. There are really many ways uh, to address this. And uh, she wrapped up essentially by saying that, you know, 2023 will be a quieter year and a chance to get a lot done. Right. Well, I think it's smart to take advantage of some of the slower periods to test out what will work and would not work when things get more hectic in future to come. Thanks, Victoria. Absolutely. You're welcome. And Ben, you wrote this week about new research into last mile delivery trends. Can you share what that research revealed? Yeah, glad to. Uh, so th this was also about trucking, as Victoria was just talking about. But um, I, I was looking at, as you said, last mile as opposed to um, LTL, middle mile. Um, so this was about, um, you know, we've just made it through the winter peak uh, and to buy all those holiday presents. Of course, a lot of us were relying on that last mile uh, delivery for our e-commerce gifts. Um, so we saw, though, to what lengths retailers have to go to sustain that. Uh, it was a report that came from FarEye, 
they're a logistics tech startup in Chicago that makes a, a software as a service based delivery management uh, software platform for those kind of deliveries. So far, I found that the last mile delivery process since 2020 has grown more complex, expensive, inefficient, and really unsustainable. Uh, so retailers and logistics providers are feeling the pain of those trends. Um, and to reduce some of the growing costs of last mile delivery, Farai's survey found that 57% of retailers have outsourced their delivery networks in the past five years. So a little more than half. Uh, and that works to hold down the cost, but there's a trade-off because 84% of those folks say that their organization needs more control over the delivery network now. So basically, they lose some visibility when they outsource the, the delivery process. Yeah, but it must be worth doing if they're going to incur that cost. So did the report find out exactly how expensive last mile delivery is getting? Uh, well, this report didn't include specific dollar amounts, but uh, it did find that last mile delivery accounts for 53% of overall shipping costs. Um, so, you know, just on a mileage basis, of course, that that's incredibly expensive just for the last mile, as opposed to all the long distance um, for the for the lane haul routes in between. Uh, the reason uh, for those high costs are driven primarily by fuel, of course, uh, but then address location labor and first delivery failure so sometimes you gotta circle around again um despite all those costs um you know th there are you know still challenges with the process because retailers are pushing to go faster and faster this sort of, sort of uh, amazon effect that we've all been conditioned to expect our stuff um you know same day or next day um so today only 44 percent a little under half of retailers said that all or almost all of their deliveries are made on time, uh, but they're pushing to get faster. So 35% uh, of retailers in the survey offer that same or next day service now, but 64% uh, aim to offer it by 2027. Uh, so that in other words, will nearly double in the coming four years. Uh, but there may be some hope for a solution. Um, Stefan Gagne, who's vice president for product with Farai, said that instead of speed, retailers should consider improving the reliability of their orders. So Gagne said that they could use artificial intelligence and machine learning technology to help route orders more accurately and efficiently, and also to ensure that carrier allocation and capacity levels match the demand. Now, of course, that's the product that Farai offers, so they have an interest in saying that, but it, it makes sense. I mean, there must be limits to how fast and how cheap last mile delivery can get, and you know, this kind of approach might help to stretch those limits. Yeah, well, I agree. I think if given the choice, most shippers and consumers would probably rather take dependable and reliable over speed, but I guess that depends on the consumer. Yeah, we, we will find out, but yeah, it makes sense to me too. Thanks, Ben. Glad to. We encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories and check out the podcast notes section for some direct links on the topics that we discussed today. And again, our thanks to Dwight Clappich of Cartner for being our guest. We welcome your comments on this topic and our other stories. You could email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters at your favorite podcast platform. Our new episodes are uploaded on Fridays. Speaking of subscribing, check out our sister podcast series. It's called Supply Chain in the Fast Lane. It's co-produced by the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals and Supply Chain Quarterly. 
Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And a reminder that Logistics Matters is sponsored by Backoff. Have the entire digital fulfillment center at your fingertips with automation by Backoff. It's digital transformation done right. For more information, please visit backoff.com slash intralogistics. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters, when we'll talk to one man who finds supply chain labor in a very unique way. Be sure to join us. Until then, have a great week.